From CRI Simple Numbers, this is Profitability Playbook, the Simple Numbers Podcast, a podcast for those who champion market growth and anchor the nation's economy, small businesses, and entrepreneurs. All right, welcome back. Simple Numbers Podcast, Profitability Playbook is our uh, title, and this is episode number two. Um, I think we had some good success on the uh, on the first one, so uh, we're back again. Um, we don't know yet because obviously these are pre-recorded. So again, as mentioned, all complaints go to Brandon and Greg, and and mm. here we are back with them. So, uh, all right, guys, you feeling good about this one, round two, as we talk about clearing distortions? Let's get it. Hey, <laughs> rock and roll. All right, awesome. Well, um, looking forward to it. And um, if you know, you've heard simple numbers and, um, you know, we've talked about clearing distortions in your data. Um, there are a lot of them and we're going to talk about those today and, and how it's important to, to understanding those and, and making sure you have a handle on them so you can you can understand what your uh, your targets are and, and what you need to do to get profitable. So, uh, Greg, kick us off. Uh, enlighten us on clearing distortions. Well, this goes back to, you know, Chapter one of the first book, Simple Numbers, Straight Talk, Big Profits. And the reason why it was chapter one is because this is probably an area where the world of accounting has failed entrepreneurs miserably over the years because um, I, I am one of the biggest critics of my own profession because we have a tendency to sell you what we do rather than do what you need. And, and at the end of the day, you know, we tend to have you account for information in, for purposes of filing tax returns or maybe preparing a, a third-party financial statement. The reality is, is you need data that is sufficiently um, summarized, but with the most relevant data points. And we think there's about eight of those data points, you know, that you need to look at of, of data, not sub, not counting subtotals. Um, but it's got to be able to speak truth. And so as I started my original book project back in uh, that was published in 2011, most of the work on it actually occurred in 2009, 2010, was really studying what are, what does successful entrepreneurs look at? And guess what? Uh, no surprise. They don't look at accountant prepared financial statements. Mm. They actually look at different information, different data points. And then the successful ones who had a sense of data knew how to put things together to get to economic truth and understand that. And so as I, I kept studying and I kept looking at it, I go, okay, well, what is it that, that really makes sense to you? And, and it really came down to, you know, they really needed to know margin. They needed to know labor and they needed to know cash flow. And so they all had kind of their techniques. So as I dug in deeper on those issues, I said, well, to really know your labor, you know, the first real big distortion that we as accountants cause by trying to save taxes is we have a lot of, of companies that, you know, mistake compensation for distributions and dividends. And, and so the, the first biggest, most significant thing that affects a company is an owner not taking a market-based wage. Because every entrepreneur at some day when they start their business, they ultimately want to create a business that runs without them. It means they're not doing the job that they started. Many of us do every job when we start. 
Um, and, and at some point, you know, they, if, if they're fortunate enough, they can sell it to somebody else. Well, at the end of the day, if you really, those of you, some of you have probably gone through this exercise of, of adjusting EBITDA to get to a truth profit number you know, to look at possibly selling your business. Well, that's really all a buyer's looking to do. They're trying to get to, if I put a professional manager in to run your business, what would I have to pay them? And you're either overpaying or underpaying. But you're creating distortion in 90% of the cases, uh, in, unless you work with us. And, and so the first step has always been getting an owner to pay themselves a market-based wage. And it really goes back to 2009, I, was, uh, I met these entrepreneurs that ran a marketing firm. And they gleefully came up and told me after my talk, says, yeah, you know, we're, we're doing great. We're at 25% profit, you know, but we're struggling with cash flow. Yeah. Hmm. Struggling with cash flow at 25% profit. Something's not right. Let me look at your numbers. Right. It, it, it didn't take me but a second to figure out <laughs> they weren't taking any compensation. They were taking distributions. Um, they were 50-50 partners. And, and even the distributions weren't significant, but yet that was what they were living on. And I said, well, here's your problem. You're not at 25% profit. If I take these distributions, which are still on the low side of market pay, and call them salary, you got four percent profit that's why you have <laughs> and, and and so they became actually a, an interesting case study over the next three years we successfully got them from making sixty thousand a piece in that true salary number to making one hundred twenty five thousand dollars a piece and still making twenty percent profit over and above the salary and and it just goes to show that a man who aims at nothing hits it with amazing accuracy. <laughs> right. And that if you don't really have truth in data to aim at a truthful target, you, you have no ability to hit it. And you just become a series of lame excuses as to why, oh, this didn't happen, this, and oh, that's this quarter. Or, no, your business model's broken because you're not making sufficient profit to cover the, the job that you do. And then, the, the other aspect of it that I've always gravitated to, and I, I really feel like that I, I got there with my discussions in the Simple Numbers 2.0 book, is teaching entrepreneurs to look at their business as their most valuable investment they'll ever make. And if you run a successful business the right way, it is the most valuable asset you'll ever own. And, and, and it will produce a return on investment, not from just selling it, but month in, quarter in, quarter out, year in, year out. It will produce the greatest return that you've ever seen of any investment that the market could ever conceive of. But we've, we've, all, we've, we've hidden that ability from entrepreneurs by the way the accounting profession handles things. And, and that's really the, the whole point of it. And, and you just get, get to where, you know, trying to convince that entrepreneur to pay themselves a market wage is sometimes a... It's an uphill argument, but it is so critical that you've got to get to that point first because you will defend a salary long before you'll defend a bottom line profit number emotionally. So, um, Greg, as we're, we're kind of advocating this, you obviously get a lot of different responses from that standpoint. And the most popular is, well, you know, I, if I do that, my, my accountant's telling me I'm going to have to pay all these taxes. So speak, speak on that just a little bit because we hear that a lot. Well, I mean, yeah, you'll pay more in payroll taxes up until the, the FICA limit. But guess what? The IRS isn't stupid either. 
Now, the IRS has been silent, you know, for the last, you know, six or seven years because they just haven't had the budget to go do the audit. But they've been pulling every everybody that's an S-Corp, and this applies just uniquely to S-Corps, that if you take a low salary and high distributions, you're on the list. They just hadn't gotten to you. But they've got more funding now. They're they're training up officers. I went to a recent class that on IRS hot issues, and it was talking about, hey, they're coming. And and essentially, I mean, you, you, you've already told told on yourself. Your your corporate return tells them how much your salary is. Your corporate return tells them how much your distributions are. So you've given them all the, the leads that they need. And they come in and they start with all your distributions are really salary to begin with. And you got to fight your way back from there. And oh, by the way, here's the first question that, that a, a S corporation shareholder salary audit, you know, starts with. Where is the contemporaneous wage survey that you use to set your market based wage when you when you started taking a salary? Anybody have that? No, you don't. You know, we do for our clients, but, uh, but, but the thing is, is, you know, you're going to owe three years of back payroll taxes on that. And that's not a small number. Now here's the other side of the argument. In the summary of the first book, I, I tell the story of a client that we, we had this argument and I won't give you the numbers, you know, cause of, of privacy, you know, that, but, but essentially the, the essence is, we had this knockdown drag out of he, he was not taking a market-based wage. And so therefore we take, we said, listen, you're going to take all these distributions, count them as wages. And in the first year he had several hundred thousand dollars increase in, in profitability. He'd never made a profit in 15 years in reality. And so he makes a profit because he's now aiming at truth, but he owes tax. And we just have this knockdown drag out argument about paying taxes. And I, I finally win because one of the rules of simple numbers is we have you set aside the cash for taxes as the cash is created. So there's there should be no tax day surprise if, if everything works the way it's supposed to work. And so, yeah, eventually, I basically got this guy to pay taxes because we'd had his controller setting the money aside to be able to do it. And then, you know, and, and literally it was down to we were going to quit working with him if he didn't go ahead and pay his taxes. I mean, he just he just had this wrong idea. The next year, we double that amount of profitability. The next year, we triple that amount of profitability. The next year, we double that amount of profitability again. I mean, th th this guy went to went to significant increases in profitability and wealth creation from a couple of main things. All we did for him was first remove the distortions that he truly understood. Here's your compensation and here's what you're making in profit. Two, we had to convince him, yes, you're going to owe taxes. And, you know, but the cash will be there to pay the tax. And then three, as he was released to, we didn't change anything about the business. We did guide them about managing growth in labor as they grew using our labor efficiency concepts, you know, but short of that, I mean, it was really just releasing him to, to be the success that he's always meant to be, but he wasn't there because he was playing small thinking mm -hmm. and he was spending a dollar to save 40 cents in tax at the end of every tax year. And that is not how you grow a successful business. It is a minimalist mindset.
Well, Greg, let's talk a little bit about the entrepreneur mindset, though. When they're starting out, they're small and they're like, hey, you know, right now I can't take as high a salary or I have to do things this way. And, you know, they're just trying to get started and move. We all know we all know mm-hmm. how it is and, and we all know the discussion we have with them. And, and I know what I do with my clients in this situation. And I want to get, you know, let's mm-hmm. rope Brandon in here to tell him what he did. Brandon, I'm a small business. Hey, man you know, I can't take a full salary or I know I got that real estate and I'm probably underpaying on the, on the rent and, um, all that stuff. Um, you know, how do you, how do you handle it with them? How do you coach them through it and tell them and and even show them in the data of uh, what they got to do to get their mind right and at least get their data right about what they're doing? Yeah. So, you know, there, there, there are sometimes those cases to where it is just not feasible to, to, to pay yourself what you're worth. And one, one of Greg's sayings that I love is you get paid for what you do, you get a return on what you own. And so the first thing is we need to establish what is it you should be getting paid for what you do. Now, there's times to where, you know, maybe you're just not performing like you should based upon everything at your disposal. And that, that you know, is sometimes a little bit of an awakening from that standpoint. But we look at a salary survey, determine what it is you should be paying yourself. And then perhaps, you know, you're, you're just starting the business or for, for whatever reason, maybe the business is having some struggles and you're unable to do so. Uh, There's just not the capital available to pay yourself that market wage. Well, in those instances, we still want to track what it should be. We want to have, uh, when we're tracking things for you in our cash flow projection models, we want to have a line that's below net income that we say adjustment for compensation so that we can look and see here in reality is really kind of where you're tracking. And then as soon as we're able to start paying you uh, toward that market-based salary, we want to do so. We may not can get there in one big swoop, but as soon as we see, hey, there's a there, there's a, an opportunity here. We, we're we're cash flowing a little better. Things are moving. Profits improving. Okay, let's 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 increase your salary. Uh, move it up a notch. Then let's do it again. Then let's do it again. And we just kind of keep moving along, getting that elephant one bite at a time until we get you up to market base. And we've had several clients, uh, you know, even some recently that have went through that. And as Greg mentioned, you know, when, when, once you do that, you just create a tremendous amount of clarity for the businesses at uh, from that standpoint. So. And I would also add, you know, one of the things that we were talking about is, yeah, I'm going to have to pay more in taxes potentially. But as Greg mentioned, you know, hey, you're, you're in the long run, you're going to end up receiving a lot more once you have clarity inside of your yeah. business and overall income and profitability. The other thing is, if I'm a private equity company, if I am someone that is valuing your company, these are things that they're going to look at. And so it's not like you're 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 somehow snowing the marketplace of of Oh, I got this really nice profit number and what have you. Yeah, it may sound really good at, at a dinner, but whenever somebody comes in that knows their stuff and knows their numbers, they're going to go, you know what? You're you're really overstating profit by X amount because you're not paying yourself what you should. And, and that's really a rude awakening whenever you're thinking you're going to get one multiple and one valuation on your business. And then turns out it's much lower than that. So yeah, one of, one of the distortions that just drives me up a wall is this in the franchise industry, they talk about. ODI, owner's discretionary income. And so they actually don't count the owner's comp in determining that owner's discretionary income number. And they try to to basically fake out everybody that, oh, you get a multiplier of that. And in all the work that we do in the franchise industry, you know, with our, we've, we've got some clients that are franchisors, we got clients that are franchisees. I mean, we really do not like that concept because it, across our franchisees, you can be an owner of a franchise, but some work in the business. Some are just investors. 
Those are two totally different things. And, and you're grossly distorting the, the return on investment of a franchise if you're using that ODI concept. And, and it kind of has permeated into the, the small business market mindset of the below 5 million companies. And it's like, no, I mean, we, we, we have 100% success that when we get somebody to pay themselves a market-based wage, they not only make more in salary, but they actually make more in profit too, because they are now responding to truthful data without lame excuses about I'm either profitable or I'm not. And if and, and and if you can't pay your salary, you shouldn't be taking a distribution. So I mean, th- those two things are mutually exclusive. And and so once you get down to those rules of operation, you know, rather than you know somebody's trying to fix it after the fact, you know, then you're getting to where you're acting on the business rather than reacting to a bad situation that you can't really do a lot about. Right. Uh, so we talked a lot about owners' compensation. There is one of those distortions. What what are what are a couple other that, that, that you see a lot of times? You know, I mean, obviously, owner-occupied real estate. Uh, I mean, people will sometimes say that I'm anti-real estate. I, I love real estate. Real estate is a great investment, and most of our clients that are entrepreneurs don't really trust the public markets. I mean, they like to invest in real estate. I'm perfectly fine with that. I just have a simple requirement that if you, if, if you invest in real estate that your business operates out of, um, there's a handful of rules. The first one is if you become a bad tenant, kick yourself out. Mm-hmm. If you become a bad landlord, move. And I, I've seen good businesses destroyed by bad buildings because you held on to it because you owned it and you didn't move when you should have moved. I've seen good buildings destroyed by bad businesses that you should have kicked yourself out and rented it to a more valuable tenant. Uh, and, and, and then hang on a, a bad business that couldn't pay a full market rent to a perfectly viable building that was great. And so, yeah, both of those, um, you know, in, in, in that process, um, you know, and, and, and really the other thing is you need to pay a market rent. So you, you need to not, there's really, unless there's different people involved in the building than the business, there, there generally is no tax advantage to under, under or overpaying, you know, one or the other. And so once you clear that distortion, you know, then, you know, you can, you, you can look at that with clarity and make a decision of it, it, the build, the biz, the building is a completely distinct, different thing. Now, here's the thing. It, it, as you read simple numbers 2.0, you'll start to realize that we believe a properly run business in any industry in the U.S. should be at least a minimum 50% return on investment to as much as 75 to 100% return on investment if, if they're run properly. A building is likely going to advance at 8 to 15%, somewhere around in there. And so many times people are more in love with their building than they are with their business. And so the other key is I'm fine with you investing in a building, but just don't think that it's going to be that key to your future wealth. If it is, you ignored the most valuable thing of running a great business that has a much higher return on investment potential than that building will ever even think about unless you you built it on top of a pile of gold and didn't realize Mm -hmm. it. I'd, I'd add, a, uh, you know, another kind of expense that we sometimes see ran through businesses are these owner discretionary expenses that, mm-hmm. you know, once again, if you were uh, looking to sell your business, you would be real quick to kind of go, well, that 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 one shouldn't count. You know, that, that that school tuition or maybe a few of those trips and what have you there from that standpoint are really kind of 
they're they're discretionary. They're they're I'm, I'm, I may be uh, in the gray a little bit from a deductibility standpoint, but nonetheless, I'm going to try to try to run them in there. And so usually that's not a massive mover, but I've seen some cases to where those dollars kind of add up. So once again, yeah. you don't want to you don't want to be looking at it and kind of think, oh, I really am at this level of profitability whenever it's much higher. And you know you're making decisions around team and what have you because you're trying to get the business to cover something that it's not structured to cover. Well, and, and I think our goal is always we're trying to do a presentation in a way that says, how can I present this data to you that will convince you to make the, the best decision in your best interest? Uh -huh. And so like those discretionary expenses, we will many times put below the line as an other expense. It's in the business. It it may or, you know, if we're doing the tax return, hey, you know, it's got to be deductible, it, it, but it can still be somewhat discretionary that, like you said, a buyer of the business would not have chosen, you know, to, to spend that that expenditure. They would do it differently. Uh, you got others. If we don't do the return, that's up to you, you know, but but the idea is identifying those other expenses that would be uh, EBITDA adjustments. And I like showing them in one line because at the end of the day, said, well, you may think this is deductible and that, that may be debatable, but at the end of the day, you consume this wealth creation. Was it worth it? And by not letting it get filtered through all the other data to where you don't see it, to put it in front of them and say, you need to address this. And it's your business. It's your choice. If you want to choose to spend this money, it's up to you. But I do want to remind you of how much wealth potential you destroyed by consuming it. So I hope the enjoyment was worth the destruction. <laughs> Good deal. Well, I I sometimes equate it to, you know, with, with, with the distortions in your business, it's kind of like you're driving down the road going 75 miles an hour with a blindfold on. Yeah. You're not really sure where you're at and you kind of can feel if you're running off the road or not. Mm -hmm. um, and you're going to have a wreck. That, 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 that ultimately is what's going to happen. So, you know, we hit on a few here with uh, the biggest being owner's compensation. And, and sometimes, you know, it, it's one of those things to where once you take the, the, um, the blindfold off, it really brings about a lot of actionable change inside your business. Uh, I'd say most of the time it does that. Uh, so uh, if you've got those kind of things, you know, take a look at them and then, you know, start working through correcting that and moving forward with, with clarity. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, great, uh, great round today. Um, really appreciated you all being here and listening to us. Um, we'll be back here soon with, with many more. Uh, thanks for tuning in. And, uh, you know, if you're out there and you see the podcast, leave us a uh, positive review. And again, all complaints to Brandon and Greg. You all have a good one. Take care. If you want to know more about driving sustainable profitability for your business or are interested in learning more about CRI Simple Numbers, please visit our website at simplenumberscri.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of Profitability Playbook, the Simple Numbers podcast. You can subscribe to Profitability Playbook on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts. If you liked what you heard today, please leave us a review.
The views expressed on Profitability Playbook, the Simple Numbers podcast, are those of the presenter and moderator and do not necessarily reflect the views of CRI Simple Numbers or the CRI family of companies. This podcast is intended for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to replace professional advice received directly. Consult with your CRI Simple Numbers advisor or another trusted professional if you have questions about your specific situation. 